Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in, and the strips of linen lying there at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic. Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear that the Jewish leaders for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands inside. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that many, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Let's pray before we look at this passage from John's Gospel together. Father, thank you that we have this message about your son Jesus, who not only died to take the penalty for our sins, but was raised again to life so that we can have the certainty of life after this life. And we pray that you'd help us to understand that more as we look at what your word says now. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
want you to imagine for a moment that you're the head of a marketing team and your job is selling Christianity, okay? So you've got to pull this team together and you've got to figure out how it is that you're going to promote Christianity in our society. Which bits of Christianity are you going to put right at the front? What would you want to make the main core message of your uh, marketing? Which bits would be perhaps the ones that you might not necessarily want to put in the spotlight? I think loving one another, that would be a great idea to put forward because everyone loves that idea. It's a heartwarming kind of a message. Uh, so maybe something like love your neighbour. That would be, a, I mean, everyone can resonate with that. That's not going to annoy anyone or upset anyone. Um, maybe it would be something like Christians helping the poor and needy, that Christians are making a difference around our world. Again, another feel-good message. Uh, we're doing something to help other people. That could be a great way of promoting it. But I have a feeling that if you're working for that marketing company, you probably wouldn't want to focus too much on that whole resurrection of the dead thing. I mean, let's face it. I mean, for most people, the idea that Jesus rose from the dead, well, it's just not possible. I mean, it's illogical. Uh, people don't think that you come back from the dead once you're dead. Well, the idea of rising from the dead seemed just as crazy and unbelievable back in Jesus's day as it does today. And the very first Christians, those who started the church, they were the ones who first doubted the resurrection of Jesus. As far as they were concerned, Jesus had died and that he wasn't coming back. They had no idea, even though he told them repeatedly that he would, they seemed to have no idea that Jesus was coming again. We tend to think that doubting the resurrection is some kind of a new phenomenon, that it's something that began with the scientific age, the age of reason, that we all know better than that, that that was just a myth that those people were holding to. But doubting the resurrection of Jesus is not new. The people who doubted him most were the ones who were closest to him, those of his friends, those of his disciples. Now, we've heard the account this morning from John's Gospel. Uh, John was one of the disciples of Jesus, and he's given us this account of the resurrection of Jesus. And the thing that dominates that chapter is doubt, that everyone seems to be doubting that Jesus rose from the dead. Seems odd that his closest friends would be the first ones to doubt the resurrection. I mean, Jesus had told them repeatedly what was going to happen. He told them that he was going to die on the cross. He seemed to have made it quite painfully clear to them. Mark records three different places where he's trying to explain to the disciples that he will die and then he will rise again. Now let me read them for you. Then he began to teach that the, teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law and that he must be killed. And after three days rise again. And he spoke plainly about this. He said to them, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him and after three days he will rise. But they didn't understand what he meant. And we're afraid to ask him about it. 
And as if that wasn't clear enough, there's one more time in Mark chapter 10. We are going up to Jerusalem, Jesus said, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and he will be handed over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Jesus kept telling them, but... It just didn't seem to sink in. And to be honest, I doubt that any of us would have understood what Jesus was talking about had we been there. People don't die and then come back from the dead. But the prize for being the first doubter goes to Mary Magdalene, one of Jesus' closest friends and supporters. Jesus had died on the Friday and the Sabbath started at sunset on the Friday so they couldn't do the proper burial ceremony for Jesus. They couldn't complete the procedure. So on Sunday, Mary and a few others went up to the tomb to finish the job of burying Jesus, putting spices and herbs and things onto his corpse. I mean, that's how certain they were that Jesus was dead. They hadn't gone there to try and find a risen Jesus. They'd gone there to finish burying a dead Jesus. And when Mary got to the tomb on that Sunday morning, the stone covering the entrance had been pushed aside. She looked inside the tomb and she saw that it was empty and not for a moment did she think that Jesus had been raised from the dead. She raced off to tell the other disciples that someone must have stolen the body of Jesus. But her doubt runs even deeper than that. She returned to the tomb a little later crying and she actually meets Jesus face to face. And look at what, if you've got the passage there in front of you, John chapter 20, verse number 15, Jesus says these words to her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? And did you see what it says next there in verse 15? Thinking he was the gardener, She said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus, standing right in front of her, and she thought he was the gardener. More than anything, she would have wanted to see Jesus alive again, but she's so convinced that Jesus is dead, she thinks this must be the gardener. And finally, when Jesus calls her by name, she recognises who it is and the doubt washes away and she embraces him and finally runs and tells the other disciples that Jesus is alive. But second prize in the doubting department has got to go to Thomas, the man whose name is forever associated with doubting. Not only did Thomas doubt the resurrection, he said that he wouldn't even believe the other disciples who'd seen Jesus come to life. The whole idea seemed a little bit too far-fetched for Thomas. I mean, people don't just come back from the dead, do they? He said he would only believe if he saw the marks on Jesus' hands and if he could actually touch the place where the wounds were. I think we can relate to Thomas, can't we? Because I think most of us would probably want to do something like that. We would want proof, not just somebody else telling me. I would want to know for certain that this has happened. 
I would want to see something. I would want to be able to touch something to know that this was true. Unlike us, 2,000 years later, Thomas was there and was fortunate enough to see. And when he saw Jesus in the flesh, back from the dead, when he saw the wounds in his hand, when he touched the wound on his side, well, it could only mean one thing. And that's why Thomas says, my Lord and my God. For me, one of the compelling things about this message of the resurrection is that lives, so many of them, are so dramatically changed by this message. Let's start with the 11 disciples. When Jesus died, their hopes were completely crushed. They'd given up all hope. But seeing Jesus raised to life, they were changed men. Seeing Jesus raised from the dead, they devoted the rest of their lives to tell people about Jesus being raised from the dead. From what we know of those 11 disciples, they each spent the rest of their lives telling people about the resurrected Jesus. And most of them seem to have died simply because of telling that message. Amazingly, the disciple that we probably know most about kind of from history is Thomas, uh, who was the doubter. He was the one who actually took the message to India and proclaimed the good news that Jesus had died and been raised from the dead. The Indian government even commemorated him with a postage stamp a few years back. He was celebrated in by the Indian government for what he'd done. But other lives were transformed by this message of Jesus as well. Within 40 days of the resurrection of Jesus, there were about 120 believers in Jerusalem. After 50 days, that number had exploded to more than 3,000. Within three months, there are 5,000 people going around saying that Jesus was raised from the dead. Within 10 years, there are dozens of churches right throughout Italy and Greece and Turkey and Egypt and spreading further east as well. Within 40 years, pretty much the whole of the New Testament was written. Thousands of copies of it were being circulated around the Roman Empire, all making this claim that Jesus had been raised from the dead. When you read the opening of the book of Acts, it seems as though their message completely hinges on Jesus being raised from the dead. Here's some of the sermons that are being preached right at the beginning of the book of Acts. It says, wicked men put him to death by nailing him to a cross, but God raised him from the dead. God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of the fact. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead. They don't just say it once. It's not some message that you'll hear if you hang around with them long enough. It's what they're preaching on the streets. And then you have a passage like 1 Corinthians chapter 15, written just 25 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. This is what Paul writes to the church in Corinth in Greece. 
Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then he appeared to the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also. Now, do you see what he's saying there? 25 years after the event, he's writing this to a church in Greece. 25 years might sound like a long time. 25 years ago, I was living in Mullumbimby up on the north coast. You could go there today and you wouldn't have to ask around too much to find people who knew me because I lived there for 10 years. They would have known me. I might have played touch football with me. Maybe they sent their kids to the same school that our kids went to. Me? who lived a fairly uneventful life in the time that I was in Mullumbimby, people there would remember me. Do you see what Paul's saying here? He's saying that there are hundreds of people who saw Jesus raised from the dead. He, He stops just short of saying, do you want me to give you mobile phone numbers and email addresses? 25 years is not that long. And talking about an event like the resurrection of Jesus from the dead... Well, that's not something you're going to forget easily. Jesus rose from the dead and the certainty of what we believe rests on that. Let me take you back to John's Gospel, to that very last verse in the Bible reading, or about last two verses, verses 30 and 31. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Jesus promised that he would conquer death. He promised that he would give life to all those who trust in him. All who believe in him can have life and the certainty of eternal life. It's not a fairy tale to warm our hearts. It's a fact based on the resurrection of Jesus, which means that the world has now changed forever. Jesus offers us life, a relationship with God that starts now and a life with God beyond this life. The life that Jesus gives is eternal life. It's eternal life that starts the moment that you believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Sarah's going to pray for us. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to open your word today, to be reminded that Jesus' death and resurrection was the fulfilment of what was written and what was promised. Lord, help us to remember that we wait for the final fulfillment of your promise in Jesus' return. Help us to live each day and every day that, with that in mind, living for your glory and kingdom. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.